Chapter One of Among the Tibetans. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in March 2013. Among the Tibetans by Isabella L. Bird. Chapter One The Start. The Vale of Kashmir is too well known to require description. It is the happy hunting ground of the Anglo-Indian sportsman and tourist, the resort of artists and invalids, the home of pajam shawls and exquisitely embroidered fabrics, and the land of Lala Rook. Its inhabitants, chiefly Moslems, infamously governed by Hindus, are a feeble race, attracting little interest, valuable to travellers as coolies or porters, and repulsive to them from the mingled cunning and obsequiousness which have been fostered by ages of oppression. But even for them there is the dawn of hope, for the Church Missionary Society has a strong medical and educational mission at the capital, a hospital and dispensary under the charge of a lady M.D. have been opened for women, and a capable and upright settlement officer, lent by the Indian government, is investigating the iniquitous land arrangements with a view to a just settlement. I left the Punjab railroad system at Rawalpindi, bought my camp equipage, and travelled through the great ravines which lead to Kashmir or the Jhelum Valley, by hill-cart, on horseback, and by houseboat, reaching Srinagar at the end of April, when the velvet lawns were at their greenest, and the foliage was at its freshest, and the deodar-skirted mountains, which enclose this fairest gem of the Himalayas, still wore their winter mantle of unsullied snow. Making Srinagar my headquarters, I spent two months in travelling in Kashmir, half the time in a native houseboat on the Jhelum and Poru rivers, and the other half on horseback, camping wherever the scenery was most attractive. By the middle of June mosquitoes were rampant, the grass was tawny, a brown dust haze hung over the valley, the campfires of a multitude glared through the hot nights and misty moonlight of the Munshibag, English tents dotted the landscape, there was no mountain, valley, or plateau, however remote, free from the clatter of English voices and the trained civility of Hindu servants, and even Sonamarg, at an altitude of eight thousand feet and rough of excess, had capitulated to lawn-tennis. To a traveller this Anglo-Indian hubbub was intolerable, and I left Srinagar and many kind friends on June 20th for the uplifted plateau of Lesser Tibet. My party consisted of myself, a thoroughly competent servant and passable interpreter, Hassan Khan, a Punjabi, a Sais, of whom the less that is said the better, and Mando, a Kashmiri lad, a common coolie, who, under Hassan Khan's training, developed into an efficient travelling servant, and later into a smart kitmatgar. Gyalpo, my horse, must not be forgotten. Indeed, he cannot be, for he left the marks of his heels or teeth on every one. He was a beautiful creature, Badakshani-bred, of Arab blood, a silver-grey, as light as a greyhound and as strong as a cart-horse. He was higher in the scale of intellect than any horse of my acquaintance. His cleverness at times suggested reasoning power, and his mischievousness a sense of humour. 
He walked five miles an hour, jumped like a deer, climbed like a yak, was strong and steady in perilous fords, tireless, hardy, hungry, frolicked around ledges of precipices and over crevassed glaciers, was absolutely fearless, and his slender legs and the use he made of them were the marvel of all. He was an enigma to the end. He was quite untamable, rejected all dainties with indignation, swung his heels into people's faces when they went near him, ran at them with his teeth, seized unwary passers-by by their kamar bands, and shook them as a dog shakes a rat, would let no one go near him but Mando, for whom he formed at first sight a most singular attachment, but kicked and struck with his forefeet, his eyes all the time dancing with fun, so that one could never decide whether his ceaseless pranks were play or vice. He was always tethered in front of my tent with a rope twenty feet long, which left him practically free. He was as good as a watchdog, and his antics and enigmatical savagery were the life and terror of the camp. I was never weary of watching him. The curves of his form were so exquisite, his movements so lithe and rapid, his small head and restless little ears so full of life and expression, the variations in his manner so frequent, one moment savagely attacking some unwary stranger with a scream of rage, the next laying his lovely head against Mando's cheek with a soft cooing sound and a childlike gentleness. When he was attacking anybody or frolicking, his movements and beauty can only be described by a phrase of the Apostle James, the grace of the fashion of it. Colonel Durand of Gilgit Celebrity, to whom I am indebted for many other kindnesses, gave him to me, in exchange for a cowardly heavy yarkant horse, and had previously vainly tried to tame him. His wild eyes were like those of a seagull. He had no kinship with humanity. In addition, I had as escort an Afghan or Pathan, a soldier of the Maharaja's irregular force of foreign mercenaries, who had been sent to meet me when I entered Kashmir. This man, Usman Shah, was a strange ruffian in appearance. He wore a turban of prodigious height, ornamented with poppies or bird's feathers, loved fantastic colours and ceaseless change of raiment, walked in front of me carrying a big sword over his shoulder, plundered and beat the people, terrified the women, and was eventually recognized at Lee as a murderer, and as great a ruffian in reality as he was in appearance. An attendant of this kind is a mistake. The brutality and rapacity he exercises naturally make the people cowardly or surly, and disinclined to trust the traveller so accompanied. Finally, I had a Kabul tent, seven feet six inches by eight feet six inches, weighing, with poles and iron pins, seventy-five pounds, a trestle bed and cork mattress, a folding table and chair, and an Indian jury as a carpet. My servants had a tent five feet six inches square, weighing only ten pounds, which served as a shelter tent for me during the noonday halt. A kettle, copper pot, and frying pan, a few enamelled iron table equipments, bedding, clothing, working and sketching materials, completed my outfit. The servants carried wadded quilts for beds and bedding, and their own cooking utensils, unwillingness to use those belonging to a Christian being nearly the last rag of religion which they retained. 
the only stores i carried were tea a quantity of edward's desiccated soup and a little saccharin the house furniture clothing etc were a light load for three mules engaged at a shilling a day each including the muleteer sheep coarse flour milk and barley were procurable at very moderate prices on the road leh the capital of ladakh or lesser tibet is nineteen marches from srinagar but i occupied twenty-six days on the journey and made the first march by water taking my houseboat to gandabal a few hours from srinagar via the mar nulla and ankar lake never had this venice of the himalayas with a broad rushing river for its high street and winding canals for its back streets looked so entrancingly beautiful as in the slant sunshine of the late june afternoon the light fell brightly on the river at the residency stairs where i embarked on perindas and state barges with their painted arabesques gay canopies and banks of thirty and forty crimson-clad blue-turbaned paddling men on the gay façade and gold-domed temple of the maharaja's palace on the massive deodar bridges which for centuries have defied decay and the fierce flood of the jhelum and on the quaintly picturesque wooden architecture and carved brown lettuce fronts of the houses along the swirling waterway and glanced mirthfully through the dense leafage of the superb plains which overhang the dark green water but the mercury was ninety-two degrees in the shade and the sun blazed terrific and it was a relief when the boat swung round a corner and left the stir of the broad rapid jhelum for a still narrow and sharply winding canal which intersects a part of srinagar lying between the jhelum and the hill-crowning fort of hari parbat there the shadows were deep and chance lights alone fell on the red dresses of the women at the ghats and on the shaven shiny heads of hundreds of amphibious boys who were swimming and aquatically romping in the canal which is at once the sewer and the water supply of the district several hours were spent in a low and tortuous progress through scenes of indescribable picturesqueness a narrow waterway spanned by sharp-angled stone bridges some of them with houses on the top or by old brown wooden bridges festooned with vines hemmed in by lofty stone embankments into which sculptured stones from ancient temples are wrought on the top of which are houses of rich men fancifully built with windows of fretwork of wood or gardens with kiosks and lower embankments sustaining many balconied dwellings rich in colour and fantastic in design their upper fronts projecting over the water and supported on piles there were gigantic poplars wreathed with vines great mulberry trees hanging their tempting fruit just out of reach huge plains overarching the water their dense leafage scraping the mat roof of the boat filthy ghats thronged with white-robed moslems performing their scanty religious ablutions great grain boats heavily thatched containing not only families but their sheep and poultry and all the other sights of a crowded srinagar waterway the houses being characteristically distorted and out of repair this canal gradually widens into the anchor lake a reedy mere of indefinite boundaries the breeding ground of legions of mosquitoes 
and after the tawny twilight darkened into a stifling night we made fast to a reed-bed not reaching ganderbal till late the next morning where my horse and caravan awaited me under a splendid plane-tree for the next five days we marched up the sind valley one of the most beautiful in kashmir from its grandeur and variety beginning among quiet rice-fields and brown agricultural villages at an altitude of five thousand feet the track usually bad and sometimes steep and perilous passes through flower-gemmed alpine meadows along dark gorges above the booming and rushing sind through woods matted with the sweet white jasmine the lower hem of the pine and deodar forests which ascend the mountains to a considerable altitude past rifts giving glimpses of dazzling snow-peaks over grassy slopes dotted with villages houses and shrines embosomed in walnut groves in sight of the frowning crags of haramuk through wooded lanes and park-like country over which farms are thinly scattered over unrailed and shaky bridges and across avalanche slopes till it reaches ganger a dream of lonely beauty with a camping-ground of velvety sward under noble plane-trees above this place the valley closes in between walls of precipices and crags which rise almost abruptly from the sind to heights of eight thousand and ten thousand feet the road in many places is only a series of steep and shelving ledges above the raging river natural rock smoothed and polished into riskiness by the passage for centuries of the trade into central asia from western india kashmir and afghanistan its precariousness for animals was emphasized to me by five serious accidents which occurred in the week of my journey one of them involving the loss of the money clothing and sporting kit of an english officer bound for ladakh for three months above this tremendous gorge the mountains open out and after crossing to the left bank of the sind a sharp ascent brought me to the beautiful alpine meadow of sonamarg bright with spring flowers gleaming with crystal streams and fringed on all sides by deciduous and coniferous trees above and among which are great glaciers and the snowy peaks of tilail fashion has deserted sonamarg rough of excess for gulmarg a caprice indicated by the ruins of several huts and of a church the pure bracing air magnificent views the proximity and accessibility of glaciers and the presence of a kind friend who was hutted there for the summer made sonamarg a very pleasant halt before entering upon the supposed severities of the journey to lesser tibet the five days march though propitious and full of the charm of magnificent scenery had opened my eyes to certain unpleasantnesses i found that usman shah maltreated the villagers and not only robbed them of their best fowls but requisitioned all manner of things in my name though i scrupulously and personally paid for everything beating the people with his scabbarded sword if they showed any intention of standing upon their rights then i found that my clever factotum not content with the legitimate squeeze of ten per cent was charging me double price for everything and paying the sellers only half the actual price this ledger domain being perpetrated in my presence 
he also by threats got back from the coolies half their day's wages after i had paid them received money for barley for gyalpo and never bought it a fact brought to light by the growing feebleness of the horse and cheated in all sorts of mean and plausible ways though i paid him exceptionally high wages and was prepared to wink at a moderate amount of dishonesty so long as it affected only myself it has a lowering influence upon one to live in a fog of lies and fraud and the attempt to checkmate a fraudulent asiatic ends in extreme discomfiture i left sonamarg late on a lovely afternoon for a short march through forest-skirted alpine meadows to baltal the last camping-ground in kashmir a grassy valley at the foot of the Toji la the first of three gigantic steps by which the lofty plateau of central asia are attained on the road a large affluent of the sind which tumbles down a pine-hung gorge in broad sheets of foam has to be crossed my says a rogue was either half-witted or pretended to be so and in spite of orders to the contrary led gyalpo upon a bridge at a considerable height formed of two poles with flat pieces of stone laid loosely over them not more than a foot broad as the horse reached the middle the structure gave a sort of turn there was a vision of hoofs in air and a gleam of scarlet and gyalpo the hope of the next four months after rolling over more than once vanished among rocks and surges of the wildest description he kept his presence of mind however recovered himself and by a desperate effort got ashore lower down with legs scratched and bleeding and one horn of the saddle incurably bent mr makonochi of the punjab civil service and dr e neve of the c m s medical mission in kashmir accompanied me from sonamarg over the pass and that night mr makonochi talked seriously to usman shah on the subject of his misconduct and with such singular results that thereafter i had little cause for complaint he came to me and said the commissioner sahib thinks i give mem sahib a great deal of trouble to which i replied in a cold tone take care you don't give me any more the gist of the sahib's words was the very pertinent suggestion that it would eventually be more to his interest to serve me honestly and faithfully than to cheat me baltal lies at the feet of a precipitous range the peaks of which exceed mont blanc in height two gorges unite there there is not a hut within ten miles big campfires blazed a few shepherds lay under the shelter of a mat screen the silence and solitude were most impressive under the frosty stars and the great central asian barrier sunrise the following morning saw us on the way up a huge gorge with nearly perpendicular sides and filled to a great depth with snow then came the tsujila which with the namikala and the fotula respectively eleven thousand three hundred thirteen thousand and thirteen thousand five hundred feet are the great steps from kashmir to the tibetan heights the two latter passes present no difficulties the tsujila is a thoroughly severe pass the worst with the exception perhaps of the sasir on the yarkand caravan route 
the track cut broken and worn on the side of a wall of rock nearly two thousand feet in abrupt elevation is a series of rough narrow zigzags rarely if ever wide enough for laden animals to pass each other composed of broken ledges often nearly breast high and shelving surfaces of a braided rock up which animals have to leap and scramble as best they may trees and trailers drooped over the path ferns and lilies bloomed in moist recesses and among myriads of flowers a large blue and cream columbine was conspicuous by its beauty and exquisite odour the charm of the detail tempted one to linger at every turn and all the more so because i knew that i should see nothing more of the grace and bounteousness of nature till my projected descent into kulu in the late autumn the snow-filled gorge on whose abrupt side the path hangs the soji la pass is geographically remarkable as being the lowest depression in the great himalayan range for three hundred miles and by it in spite of infamous bits of roads on the sind and suru rivers and consequent losses of goods and animals all the traffic of kashmir afghanistan and the western punjab finds its way into central asia it was too early in the season however for more than a few enterprising caravans to be on the road the last look upon kashmir was a lingering one below in shadow lay the baltal camping-ground a lonely deodar belted flowery meadow noisy with the dash of icy torrents tumbling down from the snowfields and glaciers upborne by the gigantic mountain range into which we had penetrated by the tsuji pass the valley lying in shadow at their base was a dream of beauty green as an english lawn starred with white lilies and dotted with clumps of trees which were festooned with red and white roses clematis and white jasmine above the hardier deciduous trees appeared the pinus excelsa the silver fir and the spruce higher yet the stately grace of the deodar clothed the hillsides and above the forests rose the snow mountains of tilail pink in the sunrise high above the tsoji itself eleven thousand five hundred feet in altitude a mass of grey and red mountains snow-slashed and snow-capped rose in the dewy rose-flushed atmosphere in peaks walls pinnacles and jagged ridges above which towered yet loftier summits bearing into the heavenly blue sky fields of unsullied snow alone the descent on the tibetan side is slight and gradual the character of the scenery undergoes an abrupt change there are no more trees and the large scrubs which for a time take their place degenerate into thorny bushes and then disappear there were mountains thinly clothed with grass here and there mountains of bare gravel and red rock grey crags stretches of green turf sunlit peaks with their snows a deep snow-filled ravine eastwards and beyond a long valley filled with a snow-field fringed with pink primulas and that was central asia we halted for breakfast iced our cold tea in the snow mr maconochie gave a final charge to the afghan who swore by his prophet to be faithful 
and i parted from my kind escorts with much reluctance and started on my tibetan journey with but a slender stock of hindustani and two men who spoke not a word of english on that day's march of fourteen miles there is not a single hut the snow-field extended for five miles from ten to seventy feet deep much crevassed and encumbered with avalanches in it the dross truly snow-born appeared issuing from a chasm under a blue arch of ice and snow afterwards to rage down the valley to be forded many times or crossed on snow-bridges after walking for some time and getting a bad fall down an avalanche slope i mounted gyalpo and the clever plucky fellow frolicked over the snow smelt and leapt crevices which were too wide to be stepped over put his forelegs together and slid down slopes like a swiss mule and though carried off his feet in a ford by the fierce surges of the drass struggled gamely to shore steep grassy hills and peaks with gorges cleft by the thundering drass and stretches of rolling grass succeeded each other then came a wide valley mostly covered with stones brought down by torrents a few plots of miserable barley grown by irrigation and among them two buildings of round stones and muds about six feet high with flat mud roofs one of which might be called the village and the other the caravanserai on the village roof were stacks of twigs and of the dried dung of animals which is used for fuel and the whole female population adult and juvenile engaged in picking wool the people of this village of matayan are kashmiris as i had an hour to wait for my tent the women descended and sat in a circle round me with a concentrated stare they asked if i were dumb and why i wore no earrings or necklace their own persons being loaded with heavy ornaments they brought children afflicted with skin diseases and asked for ointment and on hearing that i was hurt by a fall seized on my limbs and shampooed them energetically but not undexterously i prefer their sociability to the usual chilling aloofness of the people of kashmir the serai consisted of several dark and dirty cells built round a blazing piece of sloping dust the only camping ground and under the entrance two platforms of animated earth on which my servants cooked and slept the next day was sunday sacred to a halt but there was no fodder for the animals and we were obliged to march to dras following where possible the course of the river of that name which passes among highly coloured and snow-slashed mountains except in places where it suddenly finds itself pent between walls of flame-coloured or black rock not ten feet apart through which it boils and rages forming gigantic potholes with every mile the surroundings became more markedly of the central asian type all day long a white scintillating sun blazes out of a deep blue rainless cloudless sky the air is exhilarating the traveller is conscious of daily increasing energy and vitality there are no trees and deep crimson roses along torrent beds are the only shrubs but for a brief fortnight in june which chanced to occur during my journey the valleys and lower slope present a wonderful aspect of beauty and joyousness 
rose and pale pink primulas fringe the margin of the snow the dainty pedicularis tubiflora covers moist spots with its mantle of gold great yellow and white and small purple and white anemones pink and white dianthus a very large myosotis bringing the intense blue of heaven down to earth purple orchids by the water borage staining whole tracts deep blue martagon lilies pale green lilies veined and spotted with brown yellow orange and purple vetches painter's brush dwarf dandelions white clover filling the air with fragrance pink and cream asters chrysanthemums lichnis irises gentian artemisia and a hundred others form the undergrowth of millions of tall umbelliferae and compositae many of them peach-scented and mostly yellow the wind is always strong and the millions of bright corollas drinking in the sun-blaze which perfects all too soon their brief but passionate existence rippled in broad waves of colour with an almost kaleidoscopic effect about the eleventh march from sinagar at kargil a change for the worse occurs and the remaining marches to the capital of ladakh are over blazing gravel or surfaces of denuded rock the singular caprifolia horrida with its green dark mass of wavy ovate leaves on trailing stems and its fair white anemone-like blossom and the graceful clematis orientalis the only vegetation crossing a raging affluent of the dras by a bridge which swayed and shivered the top of a steep hill offered a view of a great valley with branches sloping up into the ravines of a complexity of mountain ranges from eighteen thousand to twenty one thousand feet in altitude with glaciers at times descending as low as eleven thousand feet in their hollows in consequence of such possibilities of irrigation the valley is green with irrigated grass and barley and villages with flat roofs scattered among the crops or perched on the spurs of flame-coloured mountains give it a wild cheerfulness these dras villages are inhabited by hardy darts and baltis short jolly-looking darker and far less handsome than the kashmiris but unlike them they showed so much friendliness as well as interest and curiosity that i remained with them for two days visiting their villages and seeing the sights they had to show me chiefly a great sick fort a yak bull the tso a hybrid the interiors of their houses a magnificent view from a hilltop and a dart dance to the music of dart reed pipes in return i sketched them individually and collectively as far as time allowed presenting them with the results truthful and ugly i bought a sheep for two shillings three pence and regaled the camp upon it the three which were brought for my inspection being ridden by boys astride the evenings in the dras valley were exquisite as soon as the sun went behind the higher mountains peak above peak red and snow-slashed flamed against the lemon sky the strong wind moderated into a pure stiff breeze bringing up to camp the thunder of the dras and the musical tinkle of streams sparkling in absolute purity there was no more need for boiling and filtering icy water could be drunk in safety from every crystal torrent
leaving behind the drass villages and their fertility the narrow road passes through a flaming valley above the drass walled in by bare riven snow-patched peaks with steep declivities of stones huge boulders decaying avalanches walls and spires of rock some vermilion others pink a few intense orange some black and many plum-coloured with a vitrified look only to be represented by purple madder huge red chasms with glacier-fed torrents occasional snowfields intense solar heat radiating from dry and verdureless rock a ravine so steep and narrow that for miles together there is not space to pitch a five-foot tent the deafening roar of a river gathering volume and fury as it goes rare openings where willows are planted with lucerne in their irrigated shade among which the traveller camps at night and over all a sky of pure intense blue purpling into starry night were the features of the next three marches noteworthy chiefly for the exchange of the thundering grass for the thundering suru and for some bad bridges and infamous bits of roads before reaching cargill where the mountains swing apart giving space to several villages miles of alluvium are under irrigation there poplars willows and apricots abound and on some damp sward under their shade at a great height i halted for two days to enjoy the magnificence of the scenery and the refreshment of the greenery these cargill villages are the capital of the small state of purik under the governorship of baltistan or little tibet and are chiefly inhabited by ladakis who have become converts to islam racial characteristics dress and manners are everywhere effaced or toned down by mohammedanism and the chilling aloofness and haughty bearing of islam were very pronounced among these converts the daily routine of the journey was as follows by six a m i sent on a coolie carrying the small tent and lunch basket to await me half-way before seven i started myself with usman shah in front of me leaving the servants to follow with the caravan on reaching the shelter tent i halted for two hours or till the caravan had got a good start after passing me at the end of the march i usually found the tent pitched on irrigated ground near a hamlet the headmen of which provided milk fuel fodder and other necessaries at fixed prices afternoon tea was speedily prepared and dinner consisting of roast meat and boiled rice was ready two hours later after dinner i usually conversed with the headmen on local interests and was in bed soon after eight the servants and muleteers fed and talked till nine when the sound of their hubble-bubbles indicated that they were going to sleep like most orientals with their heads closely covered with their wadded quilts before starting each morning the account was made out and i paid the headman personally the vagaries of the afghan soldier when they were not a cause of annoyance were a constant amusement though his ceaseless changes of finery and the daily growth of his baggage awakened grave suspicions the swashbuckler marched four miles an hour in front of me with a swinging military stride a large scimitar in a heavy ornamented scabbard over his shoulder 
tan socks and sandals black or white leggings wound round from ankle to knee with broad bands of orange or scarlet serge white cambric knickerbockers a white cambric shirt with a short white muslin frock with hanging sleeves and a leather girdle over it a red peaked cap with a dark blue pagri wound round it with one end hanging over his back earrings a necklace bracelets and a profusion of rings were his ordinary costume and in his girdle he wore a dirk and a revolver and suspended from it a long tobacco pouch made of the furry skin of some animal a large leather purse and etc as the days went on he blossomed into blue and white muslin with a scarlet sash wore a gold embroidered peak and a huge white muslin turban with much change of ornaments and appeared frequently with a great bunch of poppies or a cluster of crimson roses surmounting all his headgear was colossal it and the head together must have been fully a third of his total height he was a most fantastic object and very observant and skilful in his attentions to me but if i had known what i afterwards knew i should have hesitated about taking these long lonely marches with him for my sole attendant between hassan khan and this afghan violent hatred and jealousy existed i have mentioned roads and my road was the great caravan route from western india into central asia this is a fitting time for an explanation the traveller who aspires to reach the highlands of tibet from kashmir cannot be borne along in a carriage or hill-cart for much of the way he is limited to a foot-pace and if he has regard to his horse he walks down all rugged and steep descents which are many and dismounts at most bridges by roads must be understood bridle paths worn by traffic alone across the gravelly valleys but elsewhere constructed with great toil and expense as nature compels the roadmaker to follow her lead and carry his track along the narrow valleys ravines gorges and chasms which she has marked out for him for miles at a time this road has been blasted out of precipices from one thousand feet to three thousand feet in depth and is merely a ledge above a raging torrent the worst parts chiefly those around rocky projections being scaffolded that is poles are lodged horizontally among the crevices of the cliff and the roadway of slabs planks and brushwood or branches and sods is laid loosely upon them this track is always amply wide enough for a loaded beast but in many places when two caravans meet the animals of one must give way and scramble up the mountainside where foothold is often perilous and always difficult in passing a caravan near kargil my servant's horse was pushed over the precipice by a loaded mule and drowned in the suru and at another time my afghan caused the loss of a baggage mule of a lay caravan by driving it off the track to scatter a caravan so as to allow me to pass in solitary dignity he regarded as one of his functions and on one occasion on a very dangerous part of the road as he was driving heavily laden mules up the steep rocks above to their imminent peril and the distraction of their drivers i was obliged to strike up his sword with my alpenstock to emphasize my abhorrence of his violence 
the bridges are unrailed and many of them are made by placing two or more logs across the stream laying twigs across and covering these with sods but often so scantly that the wild rush of the water is seen below primitive as these bridges are they involve great expense and difficulty in the bringing of long poplar logs for great distances along narrow mountain tracks by coolie labor fifty men being required for the average log the ladaki roads are admirable as compared with those of kashmir and are being constantly improved under the supervision of h b m s joint commissioner in leh up to kargil the scenery though growing more tibetan with every march had exhibited at intervals some traces of natural verdure but beyond after leaving the suru there is not a green thing and on the next march the road crosses a lofty sandy plateau on which the heat was terrible blazing gravel and a blazing heaven then fiery cliffs and scorched hillsides then a deep ravine and the large village of paskim dominated by a fort-crowned rock and some planted and irrigated acres then a narrow ravine and magnificent scenery flaming with colour which opens out after some miles on a burning chaos of rocks and sand mountain girdled and on some remarkable dwellings on a steep slope with religious buildings singularly painted this is shergol the first village of buddhists and there i was among the tibetans end of chapter 1